The votes are in. Assessing school board elections across the country after ballots have been cast. What the results say about parent-centered candidates. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Educate. I'm your host, Liz Collin. We'll also be joined by the host of a popular podcast series called Trapped, Chaos in the Classroom. My colleague, in fact, Sheila Qualls, from a news source called Alpha News in Minnesota. She's going to be talking about the battle for our children's minds taking place in classrooms, not just in this state where her podcast takes place, but all across the country, what her series has exposed so far. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us. We're going to get to those stories and more in a moment, but first, a bit of an introduction of sorts as this show is brand new. We are excited to get things rolling here on Educate. We're taking a deep dive into the central issues of education on this show, providing criticism and positive solutions to problems. We're going beyond the headlines, talking about the best way to get involved and to stand up with a special focus on that K through 12 classroom. A bit about myself, though, first here, my name is Liz Collin, and I'll be your host of Educate, joining you each and every week from the Minneapolis, Minnesota area. I am a 20-year reporter and anchor who walked away from the mainstream media for many of the reasons we talk about here on this show, pushing dangerous ideologies, in my opinion, keeping critical information from the public, and so often about what truly matters most. And I am a mom, too, trying to navigate the education world myself. With that, let's get to our first story. The election results are in. What school board elections tell us about our communities and what's on the minds of parents right now. So assessing some of the results, I am lucky enough to be joined by Christine Troyan. She is the executive director of the Minnesota Parents Alliance. Christine, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Liz. Happy to be on. I know um, you're new to this audience a a bit, so I first want to just start a bit. You have such an interesting story about how you all got started, which we are going to get into um, here here in a moment. But just talk about the mission um, of of what you guys try to do over there at the uh, Minnesota Parents Alliance, Christine. Sure. So our mission is is fairly simple. It's to educate and empower Minnesota parents to be strong advocates for academic achievement, equality, and parental rights. And coming off the heels of these school board races, I, I know I wanted to give you a bit of a break before I called on an interview, but I didn't give you that. I apologize. Uh, but your uh, organization, I know, backed dozens of, of candidates in, in Minnesota. Talk about the bright spots to, to start with and, and what those um, tell you about what is going on in the minds of, of parents um, a, across the state, in your opinion. Um, we're, we're in our second year doing this work, and um, we were really thrilled to see um, what we think is just a phenomenal win in the largest district in Minnesota, which is the Anoka Hennepin District. Um, they had three seats open this year. And we, the parent (laughs) community here in Minnesota, um, claimed two of them. And we think that's just an incredible result, um, considering that we were just really up against a well-organized machine that is our our Minnesota State Teachers Union. Uh, They have, you know, bottomless resources and (laughs) we'll throw all of them at you to claim those seats. And so we were so proud of of the teams that won there. Um, We also were really happy to flip. um, I guess that's a term we're using now flip a school board um, in a community um, sort of in the southeastern corner of the metro area. Um, So now they have five academic achievement focused parent centered uh, school board members out of seven 
And that really represents an opportunity um, for some pretty exciting changes there in that community. And I, I'm most proud of the fact that those two specific wins and, and some of the others that we had this year really represent about two years of hard work in those parent groups. Um, these are wins that came after some community members organized and, and won seats in 2021 and really kept that momentum and kept that pressure on for you know two solid years to come back and, and claim more seats this year. Um, so that's really sort of emblematic of what we're trying to do is to build momentum. And, you know, year over year, as uh, more seats come up for re-election, um, that the parents are really stepping in and um, reclaiming some of these seats. And do you know what the math even looks like at this point, Christine, when it comes to money spent? Because I think that's what's so remarkable here. You are kind of this grassroots organization just getting started. Um, in, in many ways, and you're going up against uh, Education Minnesota, that's the, the big time union representing K through 12 uh, teachers, essentially, in Minnesota, they have a, an awful lot of power, we know, and an awful lot of, of money. Yes. So unfortunately, we don't have the final because here in Minnesota, you have 30 days to file um, after the election, your post general campaign finance report. Um, but we also have 10 days prior to the election, you need to file a pre general. So based on the pre general report, which typically is not um, really inclusive of, I think, the lion's share of what is spent in a campaign gets spent in like the 10 days before the election. Um, but just based on those numbers alone, we know that we got outspent probably three to one, maybe four to one in, in really active districts where the union was oh. really, really um, intensely trying to defend the control that they have in those districts. So um, it, it remains to be seen. We don't have the final numbers yet, um, but we're certain that, again, we're, we're a pretty homespun organization with a shoestring budget compared to what we were up against. So um, we know we got drastically outspent and outplayed in, in every single district. It's interesting to look at some of the the headlines coming out of election night, um, the way the mainstream media kind of spins this conservative candidates underwhelm in suburban school board races. This is a national story. Another saying that voters in some of the highest profile school board elections across the U.S. rebuked conservative candidates in local school board elections who want to ban books, restrict classroom con- conversations on on race and gender. It does seem sort of like this echo chamber um, in a way. But but there are certainly uh, bright spots, and it's it's also interesting how the media almost makes you know this messaging like this group of people has to be crazy um, because you care about what's what's being taught in the classroom. Yeah, it's it's wild to see, and you know I I really think that looking at the the sort of claims that opponents would make about the reason why these people can't you know they're dangerous for school boards is because either you know they're book banners or they're racists. Um, that's a pretty desperate claim to make for a bunch of people who are saying you know our proficiency numbers are abysmal. Um, we mm-hmm. have illiterate students that are graduating out of our K-12 system, the business community is raising a flag saying, hey, wait a minute, you know, the workforce that we are getting out of our K-12 system doesn't have the basic skills they need to succeed. Um, And to kind of try to villainize people that are raising what I think is an incredibly legitimate position on restoring our public schools to excellence is um, really telling. And and I think that, um, you know, unfortunately, uh, some of those claims stick. You know, I think if you can try to paint your opponent as a racist or a homophobe, there are people that will turn out on that. And so I think that in the areas where we lost, um, you know, people are listening to those kind of echo chamber uh, accusations and they that that mobilizes their base. 
And I think we just need to work really, really hard in future years to make the voter contact that we need to humanize ourselves and show that we're not the villains that you've been told that we are. These are you know, people who share your perspective and probably your uh, priorities on what public schools should be doing. Um, so I just think that the more people we talk to and the more people who truly understand what's at the heart of this mission, um, it's a very winsome position. And I think we're only gaining people. And I think you're right, though. It's, it sort of proves, too, that nobody wins when education has become so uh, political and, and polarizing. And it really should not be. We should all want the, the same things. Yeah. And it's really frustrating because as the grownups are sitting here, you know, battling about what books belong in the library, our kids are failing. Um, and so I just I'm, I am really desperate to try to refocus these conversations that get continually dragged into these controversial and divisive things that nobody's really ever going to agree on to say sideline that because meanwhile, you know, our students are struggling to read and do math at their grade level. Um, so I think we all as adults in the conversation need to exercise some restraint that this is not supposed to be a political battleground. This is a place where we can come together with some common goals and some shared values and really reprioritize student achievement. Again, you're listening to Christine Troyan. She's the executive director of Minnesota Parents Alliance in Minnesota. It seems that she's now being contacted, though, across the country. <laughs> People are trying to um, sort of re replicate the, this movement in a way. We're going to talk more uh, to Christine coming up here about about sort of her backstory, how she became um, this uh, gal leading up th this great group um, in Minnesota. So we're going to ask her about that and her interesting uh, journey to being a homeschool mom that, that she is as well. But you're listening to Educate with Liz Collin. The show is brought to you by The New American. For more, visit thenewamerican.com. We'll be right back. Self-reliance. It's not a phrase we hear much in our culture these days. It might conjure up images of pioneers, the West, rifles, strapping men, and strong women. But what does it mean for us in today's world? The New American Magazine has just released its latest collector's edition, Self-Reliance, Foundation of Freedom. In it, the New American authors outline the necessity of self-reliance for a free people, tips for self-reliant living, and the importance of not giving up hope. This unique edition includes articles on the self-sufficiency of the founders, preparing for a worst-case scenario, firearms, financial self-reliance, the importance of community, and many other topics by expert writers. Now, for a limited time, The New American is offering a bundle of three collector's editions, Self-Reliance, The Great Reset, and Trump World for just $19.95. A great stocking stuffer available at shopjbs.org. Visit shopjbs.org today. Welcome back to Educate. I'm Liz Collin. We are talking with Christine Troyan. She is the executive director of Minnesota Parents Alliance. About some key takeaways from the school board races as she's uh, still surviving um, after all of the uh, election madness in this uh, so-called off year, but certainly not for Christine. But now that the results are in from election night, what it all means for the education of our kids. I wanted to get into your personal story, though, uh, a bit here, Christine. I know you're a homeschool mom. But tell us how uh, Minnesota Parents Alliance really really came to be, because I know you're you're new. 
Yeah, yeah. So we, um, I, I like to say that we sort of started in 2021, or at least that's where the idea for this organization first was planted in, in my mind. Um, I lived in a community where there were some great parents that ran for their local school board in 2021 after being, you know, at school board meetings talking about COVID restrictions and sort of 2021 was a real um, spark, I think, for people to really get engaged in their local school board and, and really figure out how decisions are being made for their kids. Um, so I saw these great candidates emerge and and, and really, I think that, you know, truly running for school board is an act of service to your community. Um, this is hard work to campaign yeah. locally and, and do it right and do it well. And also then to serve, it's a four-year commitment. Um, it's unpaid work and uh, it requires a lot of time and effort that, you know, most people don't have. This is also a side job for people. Um, they usually have full-time jobs and really busy lives with their own kids and, and, and commitments. So I saw these people run and then I saw them lose. I saw them struggle to campaign and it was hard for them to get their message out. And they were up against, you know, incumbents typically that maybe had been unchallenged um, for years. And it just seemed to me that there was something missing in terms of a support mechanism to help these people um, learn to campaign, to do it well, to do it right, and then also to serve. Um, so I guess after the 2021 election, seeing losses where I thought there should have been wins, uh, I came together with a lot of the candidates that ran and some of their helpers. And we kind of got in a room thinking like, what could we do to make sure that this doesn't happen again? Because what is unfortunate is when you lose an election, a lot of people just get disenfranchised and discouraged and they, they disengage. And whether that means that some of those people pulled their kids out of their public school district, or they just said, I would never do this again. Um, we can't afford to have that happen. I think that the engagement piece is key. So in early 2022, this organization was born as a mechanism to support parents who wanted to get more involved, more informed on what was going on. And then we started running uh, training. Yeah. And uh, talk about that now. I was really struck um, talking to you before about just the quality of, of candidates that, that have come forward wanting to, yeah. to, to do this. Yeah, so we were thrilled in May of 2020, 2022. We had like our first full day of campaign training. And this is not my skill set. Like you said, I was homeschooling my kids at the time and just realized that I don't know a lot about campaigning, but there sure are a lot of people that do. So we should connect with those people and get them to help these young parents that want to step forward. So we hosted this training. We had like 80 people in the room that day and um, they, they continued. They went forward and many of them ended up running and we hosted some subsequent trainings and um, really kind of of handheld them through the process. And last year, we were really proud to say that we had about we, we, we had a voter guide too, which I think is another key piece because the voter education thing was totally missing. Most people had no idea who was running for school board. They don't pay attention to what's going on at the you know mm -hmm. bottom of the ballot, so to speak. These local races have just been sort of like under the radar for years. And so we just wanted to provide a resource to the average person who was heading out to their polls to figure out, oh, I, I know Minnesota Parents Alliance is, is, is trying to champion you know achievement-focused leadership. Um, I want to vote for who they endorse. So we endorse candidates. We put a voter guide together and made it easy for people to identify identify who to, who to vote for in their local district. And of the 120 people that we endorsed last year, uh, 50 of them won. So it was a really solid success rate coming out of the gate. And it just showed us that like that model works of supporting people and then giving the voter education that is needed, I think, for people to head to the polls and elect the right people. So we replicated that again this year. And I think that we are hoping to churn that model of really cultivating quality candidates, training them in and helping um, elevate their, their campaign platform. And even if you don't want to run uh, for, for school board, we know it's a time commitment, certainly. Um, but there are other things that, that people can do in their in their communities. And I think um, you know, that's what's great about, about your group, too. People can be involved. 
um, without being the, the front runner uh, for a race. Yeah, I think that it's much more important to be an active, informed, engaged parent than it is to actually be a school board candidate. I mean, very few people will actually ultimately run for school board. The most important piece is trying to come up with like a very robust parent group that's going to be consistent in showing up at school board meetings and not as an angry mob, as just people who are like wanting to be informed and educated on what's going on. And they want constructive engagement with the people that either serve on the board or other decision makers in the district. Um, so we've hosted a lot of trainings that are just about parent advocacy. How do you be a really engaged parent in a constructive way and build relationships in your your district. And out of these really great parent groups that have formed, um, then you can cultivate a few candidates every year that are willing to step forward and, and take that next step. No, I think that's that's great. And and, and talk about that. Um, you know, what, what's happening in, in Minnesota with this group? Have you looked to other other groups um, uh, across the country for advice? I, I know that people are now looking to, to you for advice, but but certainly this is this is something where there are no no boundaries. It seems it seems a lot of parents are, are frustrated with with what's happening. Yeah, I mean, certainly, I think this is a national trend. And unfortunately, so are the declining um, proficiency scores. I mean, Minnesota is not unique in having this drastic decline that's been happening, not just during and after COVID, but well before COVID. So, you know, certainly there are groups in every state that are doing something similar to try to restore um, the mission of public schools to their to their uh, local districts. But, you know, in terms of uh, do we look to other groups? I think that every group has its own style and brand of engagement. And what was important important to me is that this effort is local. It isn't tethered to any other national initiatives or groups or funding for that matter. Um, we really started this at an incredibly grassroots level. And I think it's important for it to really remain there in many respects, because what happens at the local district level, it is so unique and specific. And even though we're a statewide organization, I think just that even the like nuances that exist between, you know, maybe a smaller rural community in greater Minnesota versus a huge metro area school district, um, that can look different. And so I really think that um, some of the national groups that have emerged in sort of the parent movement, um, they have a real kind of culture warrior angle to what they're doing. And for me, it's really important for our organization to try to be incredibly centrist in what we're doing, because that's what our public schools are. They're centrist. They are for everyone. Um, so I really want the, our style of engagement and our brand to be um, mission driven in that way to say our public schools are for everyone to make sure that they're getting a solid quality education. And that shouldn't be controversial or political in one one bit. Where can people go to find more information on your organization, Christine? Sure. Well, we have a website. It's Minnesota Parents, all spelled out together, dot uh, org. And we can um, provide, you know, some resources that way through our website. But we often just ask people to just send us an email at info at minnesotaparents.org. We respond to all of them. And um, it's great to be able to take a first step in that way. We like to just say we'll meet people where they are. So whether you're somebody who's interested in starting a parent group or you're somebody who's interested in running for school board um, or something's happened and you don't know what to do, you know, what are your rights in that situation that maybe something negative has happened in your experience with your child in school? Um, we like to be able to handhold people through the process of asserting their parental rights and making sure that um, they feel like they have some sphere of control over what's going on with their child. And you said the work already has begun uh, for the next round of, of school. It has. There is no rest for the weary here in Minnesota. Um, we were really excited on election night to celebrate some exciting wins, but um, now the work begins to build for 2024. And um, the first year that we did this, I think we kind of caught our opponents by surprise. The second year, this year, they were ready for us. Um, yeah. Next year, they will certainly be even more ready for us. So we have to continue to grow and maintain our, our momentum here. 
Well, that yeah, that's that's a compliment for sure. You put him on the the defense, I think, uh, mm-hmm. moving forward. But Christine Troyan, thank you so much for for all the time you spent with us uh, chatting about all of this, and we certainly uh, wish you the best of luck moving forward. Welcome back. I'm Liz Collin, and you're listening to Educate, where we are taking a deep dive into the central issues of education, providing criticism and positive solutions to problems with a special focus on the K-12 classroom. And my next guest is doing just that also with her podcast series called Trapped Chaos in the Classroom, presented by Alpha News. Sheila Qualls is the podcast host. She is also my colleague at Alpha News. Before we welcome her to the show, let's listen to a clip And a warning, this one is not for young ears. It is disturbing and focuses on school violence. St. Paul is in shock tonight after a student was killed in a stabbing at Harding High School. Sadly, Harding is no stranger to violence. Stabbing happened Friday. It was in the hallway of Harding High School. Devin Scott died at the hospital. In February, Devin Scott was stabbed to death at Harding High School in St. Paul. He was stabbed in the stomach and once in the chest. Devin was 15. It was his first day at Harding High. He'd just been transferred from another St. Paul High School. Now one kid is dead, another is facing murder charges. Sheila Qualls joins me now, the host uh, of this podcast. But Sheila, thank you so much for, for being on. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. We started with a, a clip uh, from one of your podcasts, a very d- disturbing clip, I'll be honest. Um, this this is the, the story that focused on the uh, f- terrible news of the 15-year-old who was stabbed and killed uh, in school. Just absolutely awful. But I kind of wanted to start with um, your, your story for even wanting to do this podcast. You're eight episodes uh, in now. But, but what was the thought behind this in the first place, Sheila? You know, when I started working for Alpha News, uh, maybe about a, a little over a year ago, Um, I just, I was doing stories on education and parents just kept telling me these horrible stories. And I just thought, you know what? I was really skeptical. I thought there, this cannot be true. Um, but the more I heard, the more curious I became and, um, decided that, you know what, I'm going to look into this. And as I started talking to people and parents and teachers started coming out of the woodwork, um, it became apparent that, yeah, all of this is true. And so my motivation is to alert parents to what is happening and then motivate them to demand some type of change. And I know you you really tackle all kinds of different topics uh, from the proven failures of restorative justice to the high stakes of low expectations is another episode title. I know recently you tackled the, the rise in secret gender transitions. Nothing, it seems, is is off the table. But I'm wondering at this point, what surprised you the the most uh, in kind of spending the last um, several months, well, nearly a year at this point, um, delving into to all of this? Or is anything surprising you uh, at this point? You know, um, honestly, what surprised me the most was the gender transitions. And that is that kids are going to school. And when they get there, they're called by another pronoun, sometimes even another name. Uh, they can change their clothes and become the opposite sex. And the parents have no idea that this is going on. Um, that's shocking. But I guess, honestly, the most shocking thing would have to be that parents have no idea this is going on inside their kid's school. 
that's the most shocking thing. I can't tell you how many parents I, you know, would talk to them about their stories and I would, you know, just say, well, is your kid learning anything? And the response was, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I just think that um, not to know what's going on in your kid's school, you know, I know parents are busy, they have a lot going on and, and I absolutely understand that, but public schools are not what they used to be. And I would highly um, suggest that parents look into what's happening in their kid's school. Because you're right, I think you're labeled automatically a conspiracy theorist or you, you know, you try to make this about, um, you know, different culture, war issues, uh, et cetera. But this is this is reality and you have to be willing to at least have those conversations uh, to, to start with. And I think you've made, you know, some points before, like, you know, if this was happening, this would be on the the, the lead story of every newscast in the area. Um, but exactly. but th- but that's really what's happening too, right? Almost this deafening silence uh, when it comes to putting this information out there. Yeah, that is absolutely true. Um, they don't report on it. You know, the mainstream media does not report on it unless it's a situation. Um, I think it was just last week that there was a fight at East Ridge High School, and that fight was between a black student and a white student, and the white student actually uh, it looked like was assaulting the black student mm-hmm. now that was in the news that made the news um but if that had been in reverse no one ever would have talked about it mm. you're so right in at alpha news we featured um you know students fighting who it might be black on black crime or it is just treated so much differently if it's uh, against a narrative or a certain thing that that wants to be to be pushed yeah, that's absolutely true. And, you know, and that that's sad because it's not doing our kids right. any favors. You know, when we hold black kids to a lower standard than we hold other kids to, it doesn't do them any good. Um, you know, we already have this huge problem with fatherless homes. And a lot of times the first time any of these kids run into an authority figure is either school or with the police. And it doesn't turn out well. I mean, we see that over and over again. And I think we're we're not doing them any favors and we need to really, um, you know, make the standard the same across the board, no matter what color you are. And I want to be sure to give you credit uh, where it is due. This uh, this podcast has been doing very well, uh, climbing to the top of the chart in the education podcast category uh, when you first put this out um, last spring. And I think sometimes it takes a little while for people to to stumble onto things and um, for, it, for it to catch on. But it really has been incredible. I'm curious, from your perspective, what has the reaction uh, been from from parents, from from educators alike? You know, educators, um, those who are... Um, I don't want to say afraid, but that that are recognizing what's going on in the schools. I guess I, sh- I need to say that there are two, sort of two groups of educators and two groups of parents. They're the educators who are all the way behind this. Um, you know, they're the social justice warriors. They're, they want their, you know, social change agents. And then there are the teachers who just want to teach. They, that they love kids and they want to teach. And then there are the parents who deny that it's going on in their kid's school. They say, no, 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 it's not happening. And then there are the parents who actually know what's going on. So, you know, it really depends on which group of those people I'm talking to. Um, but people who know what's going on, they are so thankful that this information is being shared. And so many of these people feel like I have given them a voice, not actually not me, but it's really alpha news. We have given them a voice that otherwise would not have been heard. And I think that's a huge relief to people just because somebody is saying what everybody's thinking and what's actually going on, but no one wants to talk about. 
I also want to let people know to, to check out the podcast themselves. Again, it's called Trapped Chaos in the Classroom, and it is available anywhere you can get a podcast, right? I know we're sort of new to this podcast world uh, at Alpha News, but that's probably the best way. Any any uh, Apple store, or you can also go to alphanews.org, correct, Sheila? Yes, that is correct. That is absolutely, that is correct. And actually, we actually just put them on, I believe it's on Rumble, so it'll be available on Rumble as well. So people can watch a, a sort of a video file um, or, or listen to it uh, that way. Well, I want to ask you more about sort of your personal journey a bit. I know you're a homeschool mom yourself, which is an interesting story uh, in and of itself, uh, kind of deciding to take this on. And you've raised some pretty remarkable um, kids, that's for sure. So you know a thing or two about education. But I want to talk a bit about that when we come back and also uh, share another clip uh, from your your podcast uh, again, we are talking to Sheila Qualls, the host of Trapped Chaos in the Classroom, really a podcast that every parent should listen to. And a reminder that this show is brought to you by The New American. For more, visit thenewamerican.com. We'll be right back. But first, leftist propaganda, endless pronouns, critical race theory, sexually explicit books, accessible to minors, and more. It seems our public education system is a complete mess. That's why you should consider Freedom Project Academy. They have perfected online learning, offering live, on-demand, and homeschool courses for K-12. Freedom Project Academy was built on Judeo-Christian values and classical curriculum. Visit freedomforschool.com, that is freedom, F-O-R, school.com, to request your free information packet. We can't afford to hand over another generation to the left, so take back your child's education. Once again, visit freedomforschool.com, freedomforschool.com. Are you fed up with where our nation is headed? Here at the John Birch Society, we know how to fix a reckless, corrupt, and out-of-control government. It starts with patriots like you. We believe the only way to liberty and national sovereignty is to not only understand what's in our founding documents, but demand that every elected official adhere to them. The Constitution is America's only solution. Join the John Birch Society today. Visit us at jbs.org. Welcome back to Educate. I'm Liz Collin, and I'm talking today to Sheila Qualls, the host of Trapped Chaos in the Classroom. Her latest episode focused on the rise in gender transitions. Listen. Nearly 6,000 public schools across the country are reportedly prohibiting teachers from telling parents which gender their kids identify as in the classroom. This administrator used to work in an Anoka Hennepin public high school. She's now in another district. Listen as she tells teachers during this staff meeting last year they should not notify parents if a kid wants to socially transition at school district policy says the opposite. In our Title IX meeting, that's what they said that if, if students tell you that they have not shared with their parent, that you do not have to talk to the parent. Jenny used to teach in the district. She attended that meeting. During the meeting, she clearly presented the information of the policy in written form and then said, but you don't have to check with the parents. That's not your responsibility to go and have a discussion with the parents, even if the student wants to change their name or pronouns one day and then three weeks later they want to have different pronouns you you just got you just do whatever the student wants 
So, Sheila, I want to bring you in again. Um, welcome once again. And, you know, I think we've picked a, a couple clips here that are, that are pretty disturbing, but also a wake-up call, I think, to parents as to, to what is going on. You did say, though, that this, this uh, particular episode about this rising trend in this secretive uh, gender transitions really did rattle you. It's sort of like you kind of think you, you've heard everything, <laughs> and then you haven't, I guess. Yeah, you know, the tragedy of it is teachers are encouraging, not all, and I want to say off the, you know, also that this is not an indictment on public school teachers. Most public school teachers are good people. They went into education because they love kids. But unfortunately, we have this radical element um, among teachers. And the sad thing is, is they encourage uh kids to keep this a secret from parents. It's sort of like, oh, this is just between us. You know, we'll just keep this at school. And you know what? That really destroys the family because what it does is it pits the the child against the parent. And then the child begins to see the teacher and the school as its ally and not the parent. And it really tear, tears parents apart, tears families apart. I think that's such such a great point. And, and kind of uh, transitions into this question I wanted to ask you about, you know, having five children yourself, you know, a thing or two about education. And you were a homeschool mom, but talk about, um, you know, your decision to homeschool um, in those earlier years and, and how that, that journey was for you. Well, first of all, I homeschooled in the dark ages <laughs> before the <laughs> internet. <laughs> Um, so I did it the old fashioned way. If you wanted, you know, curriculum, you had to, you know, get a wait for your catalog to come in the mail, you know, all excited. And then you'd have to get on the phone and order what you wanted. Um, but, you know, the, the reason we decided to homeschool initially um, was because we we wanted to be the, the major influence in our kids lives. Um, that sort of morphed a little bit, though, um, because uh, Ken Lowell, my husband, had just a ton of corporate moves. And it was easier to homeschool than to take the kids in and out of school. Um, I was a military brat growing up, and so I know what it's like to be the new kid all the time. And it's really, really hard. So we just decided that, you know what, um, we'll just homeschool them, even though we've lived in places where there have been good, good school districts. And of course, this was you know, many years ago. So the, the issues that we see now in the school systems, those were not issues at that time. Um, but that's really the reason why we decided to do it. We just, you know, we moved a lot. Um, and, you know, now in hindsight, I'm really glad that we did that because some of this stuff was even, you know, creeping into schools at that time. And we might not have even recognized it. We might not have even known well, and that's just it. A lot of kids don't know and they don't start these conversations sometimes at home because in many ways they think this is this is normal. And I think you bring up a good point also. You know, you talk about the, these dark ages when you're starting out a homeschool, but homeschooling has become a lot easier this day and age, right, with these different co-ops, co-ops we've seen and uh, j- just different ways to connect to a community. So in many ways, you're really not alone out there um, doing this. Yeah, that is definitely true. Homeschooling has come a long way. Um, you can join co-ops. There are, you know, they even have um, like one day schools where kids just go there and they have school for one day and then they go home and they just do their, um, you know, their lessons the whole rest of the week. Um, like I said, many, many co-ops, um, you know, kids can participate in activities at school, even through the public school, depending on where you live. But yeah, it has just gotten, um, you know, online school, 
it, it's mm-hmm. just amazing. Actually, my kids took Spanish lessons they, from um, from a Spanish teacher in I can't remember which country it was, um, maybe wow. Costa Rica. But but actually, it, because it was via Zoom, you know, we kind of gotten hip. It was, you know, actually it was Skype at that time. <laughs> it wasn't Zoom. <laughs> that, that, very, very hip. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So we were able to do things, um, you know, that we um, would not have otherwise been able to do um, if we hadn't had, you know, the Internet. So, yeah, homeschooling has come a long, long way. And I think that, um, you know, homeschooling, number one, is courageous. And I commend any family who wants to do it because it really is a way of life. Um, It's not just that you're teaching your kids at home. It is a total change in the whole way you do life. So I, I commend parents who decide to do that. And for, for people that, you know, can't make the, the homeschooling thing work, whether it's, you know, d- demanding jobs or, you know, having, you know, both parents work out of the home, which is which is the case um, with, with many people nowadays. What do you give uh, or what do you say? What's your advice uh, for people the best way to get involved uh, with your, your child's edu- education if, you know, you can't run for school board, uh, something along uh, those lines or, or you can't uh, homeschool? But what do you tell uh, parents? I tell parents that they need to be as involved as possible. Um, They need to be at the school a lot. You know, and I understand that people do have demanding jobs and sometimes that's not possible. But, you know, parents can organize, you know, and organization is 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 so critical. It is so key because if you can't be there, you know, another mom can. And so that's one of the things that I I. I urge parents to do is to organize because when you organize, um, you're going to have a lot more information than you just doing it yourself. Uh, so I just think that organization also helps, um, helps parents know more of what's going on. Uh, and that, that's, that is my biggest piece of advice to parents who can't homeschool or who, you know, can't pull their kids out and put them in a private school. It is know what is going on in your kid's school and do whatever you have to do in order to find out. Because a lot of times public schools don't want to let you in, but they don't have the right to keep you out of your child's education. And a lot of parents, they don't know their rights. You know, we hold all the cards as parents and parents are going to be the key to changing this. Because we decide if our kids go to public school, private school, homeschool, um, we make that decision. And that needs to be respected by the public school because it's not the parent. It's not the church. They're there to educate our kids, to teach them reading and math and, um, you know, science and social studies and all that stuff. Their job is not to be the parent of these children. I think that that's great advice for so many. And and you bring this up in, in the podcast as well. And I know you write uh, quite a bit about education issues for Alpha News. Again, that's alphanews.org to check out Sheila's work. But this isn't just a public school problem. You've certainly found this in, in private schools, religious aff- affiliated schools uh, as well, Sheila. Oh, absolutely. Um, many, many private schools, many um, very well-to-do private schools, you know, that cost a lot of money to t- send your kids there. They are teaching this whole social, emotional learning and the critical race theory. And they somehow think that um, that that's good for kids. Even mm-hmm. um, pr- uh, private Catholic schools, you know, I know I've spoken with a lot of private Catholic school parents who say, you know what, I pulled my kid out because I didn't want them to be getting this. You know, I didn't want this to be um, what they were exposed to in school. And now I bring them to a private school and the same thing is happening. So, and private school parents have even more power than a public school parent because you know what, you're paying the tuition. 
You know, that's right. what one mom told me. She was like, you know what? I, uh, I'm not, I took my kids out of that environment and now I'm paying someone to do what I didn't want done. So if you are going to put your kid in a private school, don't think you're safe just because your kid's in a private school. You really need to check it out. Know what's going on. Well, again, you've been listening to Sheila Qualls, the host of Trapped Chaos in the Classroom, produced by Alpha News. So easy to find and be sure to download eight different episodes now. Sheila, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me, Liz. And appreciate the the great work you do. And that will do it for this episode of Educate. I'm Liz Collin. Thank you for listening and have a great week, everyone. Leftist propaganda, endless pronouns, critical race theory, sexually explicit books, accessible to minors, and more. It seems our public education system is a complete mess. That's why you should consider Freedom Project Academy. They have perfected online learning, offering live, on-demand, and homeschool courses for K-12. Freedom Project Academy was built on Judeo-Christian values and classical curriculum. Visit freedomforschool.com, that is freedom, F-O-R, school.com, to request your free information packet. We can't afford to hand over another generation to the left, so take back your child's education. Once again, visit freedom, F-O-R, school.com, freedomforschool.com.